Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. In today's message, we'll take a look at the end times through the New Testament prophets and Jesus as we learn how to prepare for the end of time right now. Enjoy the message. We are in our second week of Signs of the Times. This is our series looking at the end. A couple years ago, we did a series in Revelation. We went chapter by chapter uh, of the book of Revelation. This is a, another series of which we look at uh, the end times through the perspective of the New Testament writers, Jesus, and the Old Testament prophets. In fact, the most of the Bible, it looks at the whole arc of the story. It looks at the whole arc of history of which has the end in mind. In fact, some of the clearest teachings of the uh, end times is not in the book of Revelation. In fact, it's in the, it's in the book that we're looking at this morning, the, the book of 1 Thessalonians. It's important that we study and have a proper knowledge of the end times because there are a lot of bad teaching out there right now on the end times because we're living in kind of a crazy world right now, right? And so if you are not careful, uh, you can either just step away from it and not think about it at all, or you can lean into some just some crazy fringe teachings that leads to just downright mindsets that are off mission or on fringe ideas. We don't want that. This series will prepare you, rather, uh, to be prepared for the last days. We don't know when Christ will come back, but we are closer than we've ever been before. So this will prepare you for the last days. It will protect you from false teaching. It'll help you proclaim the gospel with boldness. It'll help you understand the promises in the waiting, and it'll give you practical advice to how, how to live faithfully until Jesus comes back. Now, here is an overview. Some of you are like, I'd like to see that overview again. Here's the overview of where we're going between now and Easter. Last week, uh, we talked about is time up. So we uh, did an intro into this whole series. We're going to continue this thought of last week is time up. Okay, we don't know the time of when Christ is going to come back. We need to be prepared. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, how to prepare for the last days. Uh, Next week, we're going to talk about how to uh, be uh, proclaim the gospel with boldness. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the Antichrist two weeks from now. Why the Antichrist? Well, that's going to give us a specific understanding of how the end times will start, but also the attitudes that uh, come before that. And so the attitudes that we can even see today. Uh, also, we're going to look at uh, how, uh, as we continue in the weeks to come, uh, just uh, how to live uh, in, uh, in a prepared state uh, in the waiting. And so you can see uh, the different subjects that will all culminate to Easter Sunday when we talk about fulfilled and finished. We're going to talk about how the whole Bible culminates uh, at the cross in his second coming um, and we living in uh, the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have so much to be thankful for right now, church. Amen? But we also have a lot to anticipate. We have a lot to lean in. And it is my fear uh, that many in the church today, including ourselves, can, can be prone to falling asleep, can be prone to becoming complacent in the things of God. And I believe that when you look at the end of the story, it allows you to lean in and to be alert for what God is doing. And so this week, we're going to talk about how to prepare now for the end, how to prepare now for the end. Uh, now, <clears throat> growing up, um, you know, we, we have jobs, right? We have jobs and, and we grow up, we think of what job we're going to get, right? And jobs uh, uh, help you pay the bills and help you prepare for retirement and for your end. And hopefully your kids will have some inheritance, you know, that's why we have a job, right? Well, growing up, my dad's job uh, was running a, a retail drugstore. All right. I've mentioned this before if you've been with us for the last uh, year or so, but his drugstore's name was Drugtown. All right. At the time, it made sense. Uh, today, not so much. All right. We're talking about a pharmacy, not another one of those drug stores. Uh, it just, it, he also sold bedding plants out front, and he had me wear a shirt, a green shirt, said Drugtown on the front, and on the back, we love plants. Again, had to retire that shirt, okay? That wouldn't translate today. So my dad ran a store called Drug Town. It was a drug store. Name made sense in the day. Not so much today. Uh, the drug store was fashioned off wall drugs, sold a, a number of different things. And so in addition of not only uh, over-the-counter drugs and pharma- pharmaceutical drugs, you had your aisles of trinkets. Uh, you had uh, groceries 
you had, you had greeting cards, but in the back, you had jewelry. You had Timex watches with cubic zirconium little diamonds. Remember those, right? Timex watches, jewelry, and firearms, all right? Can you imagine going to the pharmacy today and buying a firearm? Yeah, not so much today. Well, anyway, my dad had a little problem with theft. This guy named Rocky, not Rocky Balboa, but Rocky would come into the store at night when it was closed and for three times would rip the store off. Don't know why he didn't stay in prison, but he got caught. He went to jail for stealing the Timex watches, for stealing some, uh, you know, some of the jewelry, right? But then he got out of jail and he came right back to drug town one day, all right? Why he didn't get banned from the store, I, I don't know that part of the story. Well, anyway, after breaking in three times, going to jail, he gets out of jail and he comes back to the drug town and he does some shopping, all right? My dad's like, there's no way Rocky is back here shopping. He's casing the store because I know he's coming back tonight to rip us off again. This guy just can't get enough of the drug town. And so uh, he's going to come back tonight and rip us off. I know it. And so my dad followed him up and down the aisles. He was just doing his shopping, right? But my dad's like, nope, he's casing the place. He's going to do another smash and grab. You watch. And so in preparation for Rocky's return that night, my dad uh, put some motion detectors in the store to where it would, it would trip the alarm and then he could wake up and, and find him in the act. But even so, my dad knew he was on to Rocky. My dad said, I'm going to be ready for him. And so my dad made a big old note a big old, if you remember back in the day, back when the stores had the big old uh, highlight, it was a very bright signs and it was written in marker and, you know, it'd have the sale prices and things like that. My dad took one of those big old sale tags. It was a highlight green and he wrote on it, I know who you are. And he put it on the gun case. So that night, my dad went to bed expecting to hear the alarm go off. Get a call from the, from the alarm company. When those motion detectors would be tripped, when they would smash through the door and go right towards the jewelry and watch cases. But mm -mm, no alarm went off that night. My dad was confused. He woke up and thought, how did this happen? Did Rocky not show up? And so my dad went to the store. The door was intact. He opened it up. Everything looked normal. He got to the back uh, rack. He got to the back case where it displayed the Timex watches and displayed the jewelry and the guns, and they were all gone. Every single one of them was gone. And my dad's like, how did this happen? And he looked up, and apparently the thief climbed on the roof, went through the air conditioning shaft, fell through the ceiling tile, and with a giant garbage bag, filled up all the merchandise. How do we know this? I'll get to this in a second. He filled up all his merchandise, and he felt so brazen that he decided that he was going to reveal this wasn't Rocky this time. This was a different thief. So he wrote on the note where it said, I know who you are. He responded, no, you don't. And he went up the shaft and out the back of the store, and he walked all the way home with all the merchandise like he was a thieving Santa Claus, all right? Now, how do we know this? It's because somewhere on the roof, he had, he had so much merchandise in his bag, a little hole began to form in the bag. And on his way walking to home with all his merchandise, watches, jewelry, and firearms would drop one by one all the way to the house. Just like a cartoon, the next day they called the cops, they just had to follow the merchandise all the way to this gentleman's home, and he was arrested. Thieves, you never know when they're going to strike. Not saying they're very smart, but you never know when they're going to strike and you never know really who it is. And we understand this because if you know when a thief was going to strike, if you knew who they were, if you thought it was Rocky every time, you'd be there waiting right for them. But they're not that way. The thieves come when you least expect it. They come when nobody's around. They come unannounced. No thief is going to say, by the way, at 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm coming to take everything. Maybe in San Francisco today, all right, right? But, but not here, right? And the moral of the story is this, is that just as in real life a thief doesn't announce that they're coming to take your stuff, we are told by the Lord himself that the coming of the Lord will be like 
a thief in the night. One that you won't expect, and when he comes for his own, he's going to take them. The Lord will come like a thief in the night. Listen to this. This is Jesus liking, likening the day of the Lord to the arrival of a thief in the night. Matthew chapter 24, verse 39. This is the way the coming of the Son of Man will be. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women grinding at the grain with the hand mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, be alert. Everyone say alert. Be alert since you don't know when the day your Lord is coming. But know this. If the homeowner had known what time Rocky was coming, the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house or store be broken into. This is why you're also to be ready because the Son of Man, Jesus, is coming at an hour you do not expect. Jesus gives a very clear teaching here on what the world will look like when he returns. He's very clear. We don't know exactly when he will come back. That's why, if you're, in, again, if you're coming back to the series thinking, oh boy, I can't wait for Andy to give a specific date, I'm not gonna do it, all right? I can speculate. I can say it's gonna be in this range, right? But I'm gonna tell you right now, I don't know, and if any theologian says they know with exact precision of what date and time Jesus is coming back, they are a liar, all right? The best they're doing is guessing because Jesus says you won't know when he'll come back because he can come back at any moment. Therefore, instead of trying to figure out exactly when he'll come back, we need to be prepared with joyful anticipation. Yes, I believe that you can know the seasons, uh, you can know the birth pangs, which we'll talk about in a couple weeks when we're talking about the Antichrist, right? Uh, we, can, we can understand the signs of the times. But instead of knowing the exact date, we need to know now that we are to be prepared. Because when Jesus comes back, he'll be like a thief in the night. Two people will be meeting together. One will be taken, that is raptured. They'll be caught up and the other will be left. When Jesus explains this, when he explained this picture of the future, it teed up, I am sure, at least a mental conversation within the person's mind. It should tee up some tension in our mind. When, we're, when we realize here that when two friends or two family members, one is taken, one is left, I want you to know the question in our heart should be is, what one am I? Am I the person that is gonna be taken up by the Lord or will I be the person that's left for his wrath in this world? When Jesus comes, are you ready? Are you ready or are you not? Do you feel ready? What are the things that you know that are in your life right now that are preventing you from being ready? Maybe some of you are so focused on this life right now. You're so focused on your thing. You know, you know your thing. Everybody has a different thing they're so focused on. Is that what's preventing you from being eternally minded? Maybe you're focused on milestones. Uh, you know, that, that, next, that next thing that, that'll be coming into your life. That, that next season. You know, we, we, listen here, Christian, listen. Followers of Christ, listen. Everybody in this room, no matter where you're at in the faith, listen. We can be so enamored by the next thing that God's gonna do in our life that we are worshiping more that next thing instead of the giver who's giving us that next thing. Does that make sense? Sometimes we use God for something else, but God wants us to pursue God for God. Jesus wants us to, to pursue Jesus for Jesus, not anything else. Maybe we're too focused on that next milestone. We're forgetting the biggest milestone that is his second coming. Are you ready? Because ready or not, here he comes, right? Ready or not, here he comes. We've played hide and go seek, right? I had some of, some of the little kids were playing the other night after, after a city group. You should have seen some of the places some of the kids were hiding. It was like, you're right there, right? Ready or not, here I come, right? Object permanence. They're just like covering up their eyes and they're hiding behind a, a chair, and I'm like, I see you, right? Ready now, here I come. Oh, they can't see me, right? 
ready or not, the king is coming. And the question is this, are we hiding or are we seeking? Are we hiding are we seeking? I, just, I thought of that last song that we sang and talked about, we just want to chase after him in our surrender. Are we seeking? Are we leaning in to the things of God in our life? Are we hiding? Are we numbing our lives with things? Or are we even pursuing this topic to hide and to hold on? Oh, we're holding on. Jesus, come back, right? No, that's not the attitude Jesus wants us to have. Lean into the things of God with boldness, with humility, with anticipation that God wants to use you and he's coming back. Are you hiding or are you seeking? To seek his second coming, we need to understand two things this morning. Number one is the end can come at any moment, okay? That's very important. Living in the anticipation that the return of the Lord is imminent. Secondly, we need to live ready right now. Not later, but now. And finally, I'll leave you today with a grab bag of things that put in your mental prep kit uh, as we wait. This week, we'll be back in Paul's first letter to the church of Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians, if you want to turn there in your Bible or your app. Again, and, and here at Kenosha City Church, I love it when we have guests here each and every week. We are not Bible snobs. If you need to look at the table of contents, you need to nudge the person next to you, like, where is that, the Bible? Ask, okay? You're not going to be judged. 1 Thessalonians, chapter, uh, we're going to be in chapter 5 today. Chapter 5, verse 1. As you're turning there, let me just give you again a quick background again. Uh, Paul led uh, people in Thessalonica to the Lord. Uh, when he led a number of people to the Lord, it caused a riot within the town. People wanted Paul out of there. And so in the dead of the night, uh, the new believers sent Paul out so that he would not be killed. Paul, though, was, was in anguish because he wanted to know the condition of these new believers. So he sent his apprentice Timothy back into Thessalonica where Timothy gave a good report. He gave a good report of, of the condition of the new Thessalonican church, uh, that they were growing in their faith, that even despite great persecution, uh, they, were, they were following the Lord in all their life. They were, they were telling people about Jesus. However, because they were new believers, and new believers, I want you to know this, uh, People will, will know that you're a new believer and they want to tell you things that are unscriptural. That's why we need to be immediately immerse ourselves in the Bible. We need to immediately immerse ourselves with people that have been in the faith uh, so that we don't become susceptible uh, to fringe teachings. But I'll say this to even seasoned believers today is that we need to make sure that we're not susceptible to fringe unbiblical beliefs, because this is what was happening in Thessalonica. Uh, false teachers snuck in and they began to, to worry the church like they had missed the second coming of Christ. And so Paul is writing a letter, 1 Thessalonians, to encourage them and to correct them so that they may live a life in anticipation of the second coming. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. Paul encourages them, encourages them away from their error by writing this. He said, about the times and seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need to, anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. The day of the Lord is the season of the tribulation. We'll get to that in just a moment. It's a season of judgment. So you know very well the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. When they say peace and security... Then suddenly destruction will come upon them like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark for this day to surprise you like a thief. Will you be found ready when Christ returns? Are you hiding or are you seeking? So let's talk about the first one. Don't be surprised. The end will come Without warning. Now, it's not to say that there won't be warning signs that we'll be approaching that time, but even as we get to that time, you will never know the day of time. It will come without warning. Now, have you ever anticipated something so much that it just seemed delayed? And for some of you, it might seem like Christ's second coming is delayed. In fact, the very first century church, they believed that Christ could come back in their lifetime. Does that mean that God was in error, that he didn't show up in the, in the first century church? No, it it's indeed plays out. It, it proves the point, uh, Jesus' point, that we don't know when he's going to come back. Even when, we, even when the apostle Paul thought that Jesus was going to come back in his life, it proved the point only the Father in heaven knew when Jesus was coming back. 
And so we need to live with the same anticipation as the early church. I do believe, I'll explain this in the weeks to come, I do believe Christ very well could come in our lifetime. I think there are a number of signs that point to that. Uh, but even then, we still don't know the time, but we can know the signs. The end will come without warning. So if you've ever anticipated something so much, it just seems like, man, there's a delay. That's when we are susceptible to being distracted. And if you think that Christ is delayed in coming back in your lifetime, you need to lean in, lean in even more and know that he can come back in your lifetime. Don't be like, oh, maybe he will, maybe he won't. Uh, you don't want to get distracted. Now, I, I, let, let's liken it this way. I am not a fan of attending... Um, surprise birthday parties, all right? I'll do it, all right? So don't be like, oh, I heard Andy say this, and this, I won't, I'll come, but here's the reason why, all right? I think you're gonna resonate with this. Uh, for, I'd say 90% of the surprise birthday parties I've ever been a part of, um, you, you get there, you hide under a table, they shut up the lights, and they're like, they're almost here, you know, the, 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 the master of ceremonies, right? The, the, the person that we're celebrating, right? They're almost here, they're almost here, and then inevitably we get a call, Oh, they're delayed. They're delayed. They get another call. Oh, they're delayed. Oh, but they're almost here. Shh, shh, shh. They're, they're almost here. Oh, they're delayed. I, I'm going to tell you, for all the surprise birthday parties I've ever been to, I find myself hiding underneath a table in someone's kitchen for an hour, all right? And I'm like, this isn't fun anymore. Like, the food's cold, right? Everybody starts to get bored, and so they start talking. And then what inevitably happens is when the person finally comes, we are distracted, and it's like, surprise, <laughs> we gotta go now, <laughs> you know? But that's how it can be when it comes to us anticipating the second coming of Christ, is that we can get so distracted in life that when he comes, may we never be caught off guard. When the Lord comes, we need to be ready. About the times and seasons, verse one, brothers and sisters, you don't, you don't need anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know very well the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. When you say peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them. Like labor pains in a pregnant woman, they will not escape. Now notice verse 1. Paul uses the word about, all right? About the times and seasons. Some of you in your translations may say, now concerning the times and seasons. That's a word that you just probably just read over and didn't think much of. But in Paul's writings, when you see that word about or now concerning, that is a clear indication he is shifting topics. So last week in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we talked about the rapture. We'll talk about that again this week. The rapture, that is, that is Jesus taking up his church before he begins to judge the world in the end, okay? So that was chapter 4. So now we're in chapter 5, and Paul is saying about, or now concerning, whoop, he's moving topics. He's moving from the rapture of the church to, okay, the day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord is going to be something so awful against this world. It's the judgment of the Lord. The Thessalonians wanted to know, were they in the day of the Lord? Had they missed the rapture? Had they missed Christ taking the church before he judged the world? Were they going to have to face uh, just innumerable punishments? Paul's response was clear. You don't need to know, you don't need anything written to you. Meaning, what you already know is correct of what you've been told by the apostles and by Jesus. Jesus said prior to this, you will not know the days and times. But Jesus clearly taught uh, that there would be a protection over the church. And Paul, again, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, talks about a very clear uh, progression of God protecting the church before the wrath of God comes on this earth. Don't worry about when Christ is going to come back. You won't, you won't be like, did Christ come back? You're going to know it. And so you don't need anything else taught to you right now. What you need is to be prepared when Jesus comes. Because when Jesus comes, you'll be like a thief in the night, and it will surprise the world. It won't surprise you. You'll know you're with the Lord. It's going to surprise the world. The rapture and the falling day of the Lord will come suddenly, unexpectedly, and forcefully. Many people will be saying things to the contrary. They'll put people at ease to Jesus' return. Many people will do it just before Christ returns. Many people are doing it today. I can't tell you, 
even in seminary, that's where you go train to be a pastor, when you would get to the end times portions of scripture, you'd have people just roll their eyes. Huh, here we go. Don't be left behind, right? Just because they made some cheesy movies doesn't mean being left behind or being the fear of being left behind isn't true. Do you understand what I'm saying? Right? Just because Hollywood made a movie or they crowdfunded a movie, the movie could be amazing or it can be really, really tacky. That doesn't mean what scripture says is any less true because somebody else made a movie about it. And so I was in the season of Left Behind, all the movies and the books, and people are like, oh, another, oh, can we just skip Revelation, right? It's all gonna pan out in the end. And that idea infected the church for two decades of, you know, we're not just gonna talk about it anymore. Am I right? We're just not gonna talk about it anymore. And it's interesting, when I prepared for the Revelation series two years ago, I'm like, I wonder what other you know, big churches or what other theologians have talked about it recently. I couldn't find any. There have been a lot recently, but at the time when I was prepping for it, I'm like, nobody's talking about this anymore. Why? Oh, you, you can find a crazy YouTube channel, or you can find some fringe, but what about evangelical, Bible-believing Christians? Why aren't we talking about specifically why aren't we talking about explicitly the return of christ and it was to our shame that we we moved the pendulum the wrong way and when it did it was it seeded a whole topic to people <laughs> that uh cuckoo right <laughs> we need to know what the word of God says about this. Jesus Christ is coming back. And when he comes back, it'll turn the world upside down. It will disrupt the world like any, nothing we've ever seen. So he's reminding him, you don't need to know the time. You need to be ready. Because when he comes, he is going to take his church before he pours his wrath out. We saw last week, I'm gonna read it again. Uh, the, I think one of the clearest scriptures of the progression of what Christ will do before he lays out his wrath on this earth. It's uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. Let me read this again. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, not a whimper, not a manger, a shout, with the archangel's voice, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will raise first. For those who died didn't miss it. They will raise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up. Everyone say caught up. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. This picture that we just read in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. Bookmark that, by the way. Clear, clear passage on, on, the, on the return of Christ. This, this is a clear and undeniable picture of the rapture of Jesus' church just before he pours out his wrath in what we call the seven-year tribulation. Again, the rapture comes from the word caught up. It, uh, it's a Greek word that is a forceful taking, all right? And that word caught up, when it was translated into Latin and was translated into English, that's where we get the weird word rapture, okay? Uh, you can translate rapture to caught up, all right? You're gonna get caught up by Christ. That's, you're gonna be raptured by Christ. Uh, when it is a forceful taking of his church, which means when Jesus comes for his church, it's not gonna be some negotiation like, okay, Jesus, you coming back? Right, well, listen, I have a couple hallmarks in life I wanna face, I gotta retire. I was going on that vacation next week and uh, you know, my kids are getting married and so, all right, so when are you coming back? All right, can we put this on the calendar? Eh, wrong, forceful taking, right? And it's, it's such a forceful taking, you're not gonna miss it. You're gonna be like, were we just raptured? Like, did, did, did Christ just come back? You're not even gonna question it. Forcefully taking you before he pours out his wrath on this world. We can see this in this chart here. Let's go ahead and put this chart up on the screen. We are living in the church age now uh, before uh, we, the seven-year tribulation, uh, which is a moment of wrath, uh, moments of wrath that God will pour onto this earth to judge this earth before the final judgment, uh, the church will be taken up. The church will be taken up before that seven years, and then Christ will reign for a millennium. We will reign with him. We will come with him, and then the eternal state. More on that in the weeks to come, all right? And so, I believe what we see clearly here in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 is Christ taking his church before he pours his wrath out on this world. Now, I want you to imagine with me here. 
if hundreds of millions of believers, just say there's hundreds of millions, all right? Maybe there's more. I, I don't know that number. It's going to be a very large number, all right? If hundreds of millions of people are just gone, how is the world going to explain that? Now, we're not really told in Scripture with the exception of some of the things that will happen uh, when the Antichrist rises up. Uh, but just imagine with me, gone, a hundred million people. The, the hundreds of millions of people that are taken in that moment, again, they are going to be forcefully caught up. They're going to be like, okay, we know what's going on. We are with Jesus. But the rest of the world, it's going to cause confusion. There's going to rise up deception. I would imagine uh, if it's going to be in this era, that people will explain away what I think is the unexplainable. They're going to explain away uh, through governmental uh, intervention. They're going to explain away all these people that are gone uh, through social media. Uh, influencers are going to explain what happened. Now, if you don't want to disappear in the blip, yep, Marvel was right. If you don't want to disappear in the blip, this is what you have to do. Seven steps. All right, make sure you hit like and subscribe and hit the bell, right? Like, that's what they're going to do. And then uh, you're going to have people that are going to say, oh, maybe AI or maybe uh, reality augmentation, right? They're not, maybe we're going to have so many goggles on at the time, we're not even going to notice. I don't know. But there's going to be a deception that is going to play out with the removal of the church. And what we're going to see in two weeks' time, I believe it opens up the door for a world leader, <clears throat> the Antichrist, to rise up and to lead a world to give them the answers they want to hear. What's going to happen to the church? When hundreds of millions of people are gone, what's going to happen to church? Well, did you know there'll be a lot of churches that show up on Sunday? There'll be a lot of churches that right now that, are, that, are, that, that have come together this morning, that have left the word of God behind in the, in the dustbin of history, uh, that, that are more about, uh, you know, singing kumbaya and, and figuring out where they are in their humanity of life. Jesus is whatever they want him to make him to be. Uh, the Bible is whatever you want to make it to be. Uh, you know, it's, these churches are going to be hopping the day after the rapture. They're like, oh, hey, we're still here. All those crazies are gone, right? They'll, they'll just keep on preaching the same message they preached before the rapture. But what about like Kenosha City Church? What about other churches? Uh, I want you to listen here. There'll be some that show up to even Bible-believing churches when Jesus comes. I hope it's in those moments that if you realize, whoa, I didn't know Jesus, that before the deception comes in, you'll give your life to Jesus. Man, you're like, this sounds like science fiction. This is just the ramifications of Jesus Christ coming back. This will happen. I, again, I'm speculating of what our reactions will be. I don't know what they'll be, but I'm just telling you, it's going to get crazy. It's going to get real crazy. Jesus offers the starkest warning for those that believe that they're right with God and they're not, and they miss it. Matthew 7, 7, he says, on that day... Many, when you hear that on that day, that's another phrase for the day of the Lord. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Man, this isn't just singing songs in your name. These are people prophesying. Uh, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name? Didn't we do many miracles in your name? And then I'll announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. I read that often. It, I think it's the scariest verse in all scripture. Because this is a person in Matthew 7, 7 that went to church, that, that, was, that was singing the church songs. They signed up for the church groups, but their heart was never right with the Lord. They liked the things of the Lord. They liked the community of the Lord, but they never gave their heart to the Lord. May we never find ourselves in that. Check your heart this morning. The rapture, the taking up, it's happening before the seven years, the, the day of the Lord, the tribulation. Let's unpack uh, the rapture, different views of the rapture, all right? Uh, let's, let's unpack that for a bit, because I said last week there are different views of the rapture uh, amongst uh, Bible-believing followers of Christ. There are some other different views that I would say are not on, we're not on the same page with. So I want to get really specific here. Is that cool? Because I realize that I'm coming from a pre-tribulational rapture, okay? You don't have to come to that view to be here at Kenosha City Church, I don't, we don't even make that a thing for staff to sign, all right? Uh, this is what we have to be. 
Jesus Christ is coming back, and he can come back at any moment. Does that make sense? That's what we require. Now, I think scripture is very clear. It's pre-tribulational rapture, all right? And so uh, you'll give me a high five when we get to heaven. No, I'm just kidding. Maybe I'll be giving you the high five, all right? And say, you're right, all right? No, but we want to understand there are some things that are speculatory. There's some other things that we think, uh, again, that are not major. But there are majors that we can't uh, make a mistake on, all right? Let me explain. Um, The, I think what's really important here, uh, this can be seen in the three views of the tribulation uh, by uh, Feinberg, Moo, and Archer. If you really want a theological read to blow your mind on the rapture, go ahead and find that on Amazon for a penny. Um, but uh, it's an older book. Uh, but I'm really indebted to this book on the study of the rapture. Again, three views of the rapture uh, by Feinberg, Moo, and Archer, that's by memory, so if I got one of those authors wrong, I apologize. But the late theologian Gleason Archer, he put it this way when it came to studying the rapture. He says, there are sincere evangelicals who believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. That means that Scripture is without error, it's authoritative, it is God's word, it's not corruptible, all right? There, there are sincere evangelicals who believe in inerrancy, as we do, of Scripture, and the fulfillment of all biblical prophecy, as we do, but have a different opinion on when the rapture will occur. So here are three main views of how the rapture will occur. The first one I've presented already, and the one that I hold, is the pre-tribulational rapture. The pre-tribulational rapture. Again, we can see this again. Uh, here is a picture of the pre-tribulational rapture, if we want to put up that uh, chart again. And you can see, uh, let's go back to the previous chart, actually. Um, you can see uh, the, yes, here we are. You can see, again, we're in the church age. Pre-tribulational rapture is before the seven-year tribulation, all right? So you can go ahead and leave that up there because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain a couple more, okay? So we're living in the church age now. And I would, all three of these views would, 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 for the most part, agree with this. We are living in the church age. The church age began when Jesus commissioned us, the great commission, to go and make disciples. And he says, I'm with you always until what? Until the end of the age when Christ comes back. Our mission as a church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That means find people who are lost. That means grow people to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. When people try to make church into something else, primarily, when they take good things and make it the greatest thing, they are, they are being disobedient to the Great Commission. All right? Do you understand that? We, we need to be advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ to be pleasing to the Lord. Do we understand that? All right? We must. That is our commission. That is, the, that is our great cause until Christ comes back. And so the church age will end, though, at Christ's uh, second coming. And then it will be followed by a thousand-year millennium where we reign with Christ for a thousand years. And then after the thousand years, there will be a one final rebellion, final judgment, and then the eternal state of new heaven and new earth, all right? So, pre-tribulational rapture before all the wrath of God. You won't be facing that terrible wrath. Now, there's a second view. A second view, according to uh, Gleason Archer, um, is the mid-tribulational rapture. This is the taking up, the rapture of, believer, of believers in the middle of the tribulation just prior to the harshest wrath. So, uh, the middle of the tribulation would be three and a half years in. If you read the book of Revelation, uh, you'll notice that the worst of the wrath is that last three and a half years. Although all of its wrath, um, they believe that, okay, Christ will come back uh, as uh, things really heat up in the middle of the three and a half years. The post-tribulation rapture, this is the taking of believers after the great tribulation to be with Christ just moments to his coming to earth to reign on the millennium. I, I'm going to be completely honest. I don't really understand this view. All right, why would he rapture us only to bring us back right away when we went through all of it, okay? I don't really understand that view. I would say that if I wasn't pre-tribulational, I would be mid, all right? Um, but I think scripturally speaking, pre-tribulational has, uh, I would say, uh, the most scripture behind it. There's one more view. It's called the no-tribulational view. This one was, has actually caught on in a lot of popularity, I think, in reaction uh, uh, to Kirk Cameron's movies. They're so sick of them, so they're like, I don't believe in the tribulation. Again, just because you're sick of a movie doesn't mean that you can say no to scripture, all right? Uh, but the no tribulational view, there are theologians that believe uh, once Christ comes back, it's over. 
And there are, I believe, uh, Bible-believing uh, Christians that believe there'll be no rapture. I think they're wrong, uh, but they believe there's going to be no rapture when Christ comes back. It's done, all right? Um, the reason why I think that whether you're a pre-, mid-, or post-tribulational, or even for some that don't believe in a tribulation, the reason why I think we can all worship together is if, is if this. If Christ is physically coming back, and he can come back at any moment, that is the criteria of what we fellowship on. Is Christ physically coming back, and could he come back at any moment? Now, let's talk about, I think, a few dangerous views within the no-tribulational view. These are dangerous views that you need to be aware of. The first one is, uh, the theological term for this is called the preterist view, or this is the spiritualizing view. This, this views no rapture because everything's already been fulfilled. It's a spiritual fulfillment. They, they see Christ as not actually physically raising from the dead, just spiritually raising from the dead. Or they don't see Christ uh, coming back uh, physically uh, in the future. Uh, they think that he's come back in our hearts and that we are to reflect the goodness and moral character of the human Jesus Christ. This is heresy and needs to be rejected. I've seen this once in my life. Someone tried to explain this. Uh, was my boss, my window washing, washing boss. I washed windows uh, when I, to get me through seminary. Uh, he went to the same seminary as I, but he dropped out. I asked him over lunch, why'd you drop out? And he said, well, it's because I don't physically believe that Christ is returning. I think that Christ is, uh, you know, risen from the dead uh, spiritually and, and that we're supposed to be uh, spiritual examples of, of the moral nature of Jesus and everything that we do. So take the window, for instance, that we just washed. I'm like, yeah, we washed this really gross window at a marina, all right, uh, along the Fox River, okay? And it was gross. It was full of spiders. You'd wash it. The spider eggs would hatch. They'd fall on my head. They'd bite my head. Like, I was afraid of spiders, and then I had to get over it, all right? It's like, okay, all right, if I'm going to pay for seminary and become a pastor, i got to get bit by spiders, all right? So <laughs> it was awful. But we cleaned this window. It looks so amazing. And he said, Andy, just take a step back and look at that window. I'm like, uh-huh. It's like, don't you see Jesus in it? I'm like, isn't that Jesus? I'm like, no, it's you and I looking at a window. But, but that's exactly what that view is. That view is everything that you do, you're going to just do by the example and character of Jesus, but he's not really coming back because it's just spiritual. That is wrong. That is heresy, all right? So that's one area of the no rapture view. They think everything's been fulfilled already. We have nothing to look forward to. Another view that's sneaking in, and this one's become quite popular in Christian circles, maybe even some circles that we've been accustomed to, uh, it's called dominionism, dominion uh, theology. And dominionism is a, a popularized uh, in the New Apostolic Reformation, if that doesn't mean anything to you, don't worry about it. But that's the group of people that really are popularizing this right now. It's a belief that Christians will take control of the entire world in a one-world revival. And it will control politics, entertainment, business and baking, family and education. Uh, and at this point, most of the world will be Christianized. And it will usher in the second coming of Christ. So basically, our, our obedience and revival will then allow Christ to come back. That somehow our praying, our worshiping, our taking over the different spheres, they call it seven mountains, uh, if we take over these spheres of society, then Christ can come back. As kind of cool that sounds, uh, when I read the book of Revelation, I don't see that. In fact, if there's any one world anything, it's called the Antichrist, all right? So we need to be very, very uh, careful uh, with this theology. In fact, I met someone once, and I said, aren't you excited uh, for the second coming of Christ? I'm like, no, I'm actually more excited about the world revival that's going to break up. That excites me more in heaven. And I thought, what in the world, right? Well, that's dominion theology. It's dangerous. Uh, what's dangerous about this theology is that it takes worship, our, our, our passion, and it makes a currency of twisting God's arm and making Jesus come back. Does that make sense? That somehow Jesus' second coming is up to us. I want you to know we are not ushering Jesus back. Jesus is coming at the fullness of time and he comes back when it's his will and we need to be ready. We worship, we are passionate, we pray, we know the word of God, we need to be in that, we need to lean in that, we need to be passionate about that, but in no way do we think that somehow we're doing this to get you back. No, we're doing this because he's God. We're doing this because he's Jesus. We're doing this because he is worthy, and we're gonna be ready whether we die and go home to be with him or he comes back in our lifetime. Amen, church? So dominionism, I think, I could, uh, 
You can, you can make a leap and a, a skip here logically here. If, if we see in Revelation a one world government and they're saying, hey, there's going to be one world worship, I think red flags need to be going up big time with this. And by the way, dominionism is growing rapidly in the church right now. Watch for it. So again, for us to be on the same page, Christ needs to be coming back physically and he can come back at any moment. Now, here's three reasons why I believe uh, there is a pre-tribulational view, okay? So I've given you different views, pre, mid, post-tribulation. Some people know tribulation. Again, all those views, we can sing kumbaya as long as Christ is coming back and he come back any moment, right? Got that? But here's why. I'm gonna give you three reasons why I believe it's pre-tribulation. Number one, the sequence of events in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, when the angel's voice and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. He is describing here in 1 Thessalonians 4, the rapture. And then he changes his subject to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He talks about the day of the Lord. Two different events that happen together, okay? Second reason. So the sequence of events, number one, is the reason why for a pre-tribulational view of rapture. By the way, Jesus uh, echoes this as well, too. We'll get to that when we get into Matthew 24. The second reason is the promise of protection from God's wrath. For Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the word wrath not only indicates God's final judgment, but his divine judgments during the day of the Lord, of that seven-year tribulation. In fact, let's take a look at the seven-year tribulation real quickly here, just to give us a view of this. We're going to unpack this a lot more when we talk about the Antichrist. But the rapture and the second coming. You have the rapture, Christ returns for his church. Then you have, uh, two you have a series of judgments over the course of seven years. And then the second coming of Christ returns with his church at the end of the tribulation. So he takes his church before the tribulation. He returns with his church after the tribulation. During the tribulation, we will see a number of people will give their life to Christ, uh, but it will typically cost them their life. They'll be martyred. Here's what the seven years will look like when it comes to judgments. Let's go ahead and put up this next one. And so we see here the different, uh, there's, there's three sets of seven judgments. So the first set are called the seals. Uh, you, see the, you see war, you see famine, you see pestilence, you see uh, martyrdom and great tribulation, you see heavenly signs. And so when people say that, you know, hey, it's the latter three and a half years, you know, um, that's, that's, that's when Christ will come back. I, I have to say this, it's already within the first set of judgments we're seeing martyrdom, all right? I believe that God is going to keep us from this wrath. And again, you can see so on and so forth. It gets worse and worse until ultimately uh, the end comes. All right. So it's a set of uh, three, a uh, set of seven judgments within three series of judgments uh, is the great tribulation that takes place over four or over seven years. Um, now, often the objection I hear to this is about uh, the wrath. As people will say, well, wait a minute. If God has not destined his people for wrath, what about persecution? What about right now where people are being killed for their faith? There, be, there are people right now, this morning, that are being arrested and killed for their faith. Isn't that, God, it, it, they're not being protected from that. And we have to really understand this. When God says he hasn't destined his people for wrath, he's talking about God's wrath, not human persecution in a broken world. Does that make sense? You will face persecution uh, because this world is broken and because uh, demonic powers are behind that. What you're going to see with God's wrath is that God is behind that wrath. God is going to protect you from his punishing wrath. However, in this life right now, we will have many troubles. What does Jesus say? Do not let your heart be troubled because he's going to prepare a place for you. And so we are protected from God's wrath, but we don't want to conflate our persecution of human beings today uh, as being, uh, as God is, uh, ultimately, uh, the one who is uh, causing those. God allows those things, but we don't want to blame God uh, for Christians dying around the world today. We're, we were to blame evil for that, correct? So God did not appoint his church for wrath. Third reason why for a pre-tribulational -tri pre uh, pre -tri rapture is the book of Revelation's promise in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. Let me read it to you. Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. He's speaking to the church of Philadelphia. Because you have kept my command to endure, I will also keep, everyone say keep, keep 
you from the hour of testing that's going to come on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. Again, this is a promise to the seven churches in Revelation, but it's also a promise to us today as we read it. Uh, Notice the Lord's promise that he will keep the church from the hour of testing that's going to take on the whole world. That word keep can be translated uh, into protection. He's going to protect his church. Now, the post-tribulational theologians would say, okay, God's going to protect his church through the tribulation. All right? God's going to protect his church to to thrive or, or or to survive, rather, through the seven years. My response to that is reading the book of Revelation through martyrdom from, because of your faith and all sorts of other conditions that are going to rise on the earth. I just don't see that. All right. We're not going to be this bubble of protection. I think what we see here uh, is that uh, this keeping is actually something that isn't keeping within but taking us out. And so it's really important for us to understand that especially how this word would have been understood by the original Greek uh, hearers, that this word from is a word that points to a physical removal, not just a protection within. So we are promised, according to this word keep, and that word kept is a very, very important word, that we are promised to be kept from the hour of testing. Now these are reasons why uh, I believe biblically, and there are a number of other reasons we can get into, uh, These are the reasons why I biblically see that pre-tribulation rapture of the church uh, is the correct one. Uh, The rapture will take all those who place their faith in Christ. doesn't matter how good you are or or, or who your friends are, what your last name is. If you don't know Christ at the time of his taking of the church, you will face his wrath on this earth. So the question I have today is, are you hiding, are you seeking, or are you leaning into in the anticipation of Christ's second coming? Another thing I would say this is when you read through the New Testament, you never hear uh, the writers in the New Testament trying to prepare the church for Christ's second coming as, okay, it's going really, to be bad for you when he comes back. No, it's a joyous occasion. It, it's, it's a deliverance, all right? And so we don't have a prep guide of like, all right, there's going to be 100-pound hailstones that might hit your head, so you've got to be careful of that one before Christ comes back. No, we don't have that. In fact, the church, the word church grows absent on Revelation chapter 4 onward. So the church is taken up before the wrath. All right, so don't be surprised. The end will come without warning. Secondly, as we begin to close, live like you're all, live like you are ready. Live like you're ready. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark. For this day to surprise you like a thief. For you're all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. Not belong to the night or the darkness. Paul is contrasting those that know Christ as people of light, as, as people of light instead of people of darkness. When you place your faith in Christ, your value system changes. Did you get that? When you place your faith in Christ, your value system changes. Your identity changes. If you say you have Christ, but your life is no different than those who don't know Christ, I think you need to do a faith checkup. What is going wrong? Too many Christians live like the world with Christianized words, yet they have anger, they seek revenge. Uh, their viewing habits on TV or the internet are no different. Uh, you get high and drunk on the weekends. I want to, that, that is not the way that you are destined to live if you're a Christ follower. He's given you a life through the power of the Holy Spirit to live a life that is made new. And again, we're not talking about being perfect. I know that there's times that you mess up. I know there's times that there there are certain things that go on in your life and you're like, man, I've been in a rut and God loves you so much. He wants to pull you out of that rut. But I want you to know right now, never make that an excuse that I'm just gonna live however I wanna live because they're just pulling me out of the rut. Listen, I don't think you're really understanding the great faith of what you placed your faith into and that is Jesus Christ. So know who you are. You are children of light, not darkness. And if you know who you are, you can live like you believe. 1 Thessalonians 5 or 6. So then let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith, love, and a helmet of hope of salvation. If we're to live like we believe, we need to stay alert. What we see here is don't get drunk Uh, We need to be Uh, self-controlled. Here's the deal. When we think of being self-controlled, oftentimes people can think of discipline that they've learned from a self-help book. Eh, Wrong. That's not what biblical self-control is. 
Biblical self-control is yielding in surrender to the Holy Spirit. Paul tells the Ephesians, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, here's the deal. You want to live a life of self-control, you got to live a life that is full and filled with the Holy Spirit. There's nobody who is drunk or high on some substance, like, yeah, I'm just filled with the Holy Spirit today. Eh, wrong, right? There's not somebody who can give a prophetic word and be filled with the Holy Spirit, and then on the next day, they're yelling and screaming at somebody, or, or, they're, or they're gossiping or taking revenge on somebody, or, or, they're, or they're living completely a 180 life in their workplace and, and talking however they want to talk. Eh, wrong. Here's the deal. To be Spirit-filled doesn't mean that you show off in a moment. It means that you're overflowing every single day of your life, and the overflow of what you minister to others others, the spirit is coming out and it's not you. To be self-controlled has nothing to do with self, it has everything to do with spirit. And if you're gonna prepare, we need to prepare as you're going into war, not against flesh and blood, not a physical war, but a spiritual war. And so we need to have our tools of faith, love, and hope. Faith in Christ, love of others, and the hope that is to come. And we need to encourage one another to live in urgent living. We need to be ready. Are you hiding or are you seeking? Are you living like you're believing? Don't be surprised. The end will come without warning. So you need to live like you are ready. So let's end with this. A prepper's guide. What are some of the things that are gonna help you be ready in this life for Christ's second coming? We see Paul end his letter, his first letter to the Thessalonians with a number of just what seems kind of random things. I actually think, tied into what he just talked about, he's giving them guideposts on how to stay on the path of being ready for Christ's return. Let me read this to you, 1 Thessalonians 5.12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you, and to regard them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we exhort you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, comfort those that are discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everybody, see to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. Rejoice always, pray consistently, give thanks in everything, and for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't stifle or quench the spirit. Don't despise prophecies, or some of your translations say prophetic words, but test all things. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Let's break this down, all right? Take a picture if you want. Take a screenshot if you're online. Here it goes. This is your prep guide to be ready for the end. Number one, respect towards spiritual authority. We are living in an era where we do not like authority. We don't like spiritual authority. We don't like God's authority. We don't like our boss's authority. We don't like anybody's authority, right? We wanna be our own boss and we wanna do what's right in our own eyes and we wanna group think or we wanna self think. We wanna do whatever we think. And I want you to know this right now. We need to respect have respect towards spiritual authority, the authority that we have in Christ. We respect Christ's authority. We're going to respect the authority of Scripture. We need to respect even, even uh, the authorities of which God has given you in the church. People, uh, whether it be myself or other pastors or elders, like we will be held double accord before God uh, for, for leading you in the Lord. That, is, that makes me sweat a little bit. I want you to know that, right? And so we need to make sure that we are not living by our own authority, but by Christ's authority. Respect towards spiritual authority. Number two, we need to live at peace as so much as it's uh, up to us. Live at peace. Number three, we need to warn the idle or the busybodies. I think this is a, a huge issue in the church today. People that are idle in the word or they're busybodies. Hey, did you hear about this? Or, hey, can you believe this? Oh, can you? I can't. But none of that. He's saying, he's saying rebuke that. Comfort the discouraged and weak. Be patient with everybody. Well, not just with somebody, everybody, including the extra grace people, the people that drive you crazy, right? Be patient. Don't seek revenge. We live in a vengeful society today, folks, all right? Don't seek revenge. Rejoice always. Pray continually, which means have set apart time with prayer, but make sure that you're in a mindfulness of prayer talking to God. Be thankful always and do not quench the Holy Spirit. You can quench the Holy Spirit by sin. You can quench the Holy Spirit by trying to do it in your own strength. Don't despise prophecies. People were giving false prophetic words to this church, which they thought uh, that they were missing the end times. He's saying, look, test all things and hold on to what is good and do not return evil for evil. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. 
because we need to seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be led by the Holy Spirit. So may we be ready. We don't need to be hiding. We need to lean forward and anticipate. We need to be seeking. Seeking people that don't know Christ. Seeking the Lord in all things in our life. Seeking his second coming. Seeking the power of his Holy Spirit. Church, let's lean in. So Father, we love you. And we pray, God, that you would give us the heart to lean in this morning. God, I pray for anybody that doesn't know you in this room. In fact, as we continue to pray, if you're uncertain that you're going to heaven, you can be make certain of this right now. That Jesus Christ, he made you. You're not an accident. He knew you in eternity past. You were created to be with him, but your sin separated you from Almighty God. But God being so full of love and mercy sent Jesus, fully God and fully man, to die on the cross. Nailed to the cross, he saw your sins in full and he said, it is finished. And when he breathed his last, he was buried in the ground. But three days later, the perfect sinless sacrifice rose from the dead, defeating sin and defeating death. And what you have to do is this. It's not proving yourself to God through your good works. It's receiving the good he's already done for you on the cross. Place your faith and trust in him alone. If there's anybody in this room right now that needs to give their life to Jesus, just tell Jesus right now, I need you. I place my faith and trust in you alone. In fact, if that's anybody in this room right now, if you know you need Jesus Christ as Savior, you want to make certain of it, you're ready to surrender your life, we just slip up your hand right now? That's me. I want to place my faith and trust in him alone. Awesome. Lord Jesus, I just pray for those that are making decisions right now. Lord Jesus, I want to pray for everybody in this room that, God, that we would surrender, that we would be people that would seek the fullness of your spirit and that we would seek your second coming. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.